0: Danny Lavery here. Please don't be alarmed if you don't hear that familiar theme music that normally opens this podcast. We've changed the music and the name of the show as well. You are listening to Big Mood, Little Mood with Danny Lavery. But if you are a regular listener of Dear Prudence, I still think you'll feel at home here. We'll still be answering a few questions from advice seekers at the top of every show so you won't be left adrift. Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery. With me in the studio this week is Alexander Chi, most recently the author of How to Write an Autobiographical Novel, who also teaches creative writing at Dartmouth College.
2: Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so
0: exciting to have you here. I'm especially excited because... It was formally announced late last night, early this morning, that the new Dear Prudence uh, is going to be stepping into uh, the position soon, and it's Janae Desmond Harris. And so I have spent most of today being very, very excited because I like her very much. And now that I'm no longer Dear Prudence, I get one of my old joys back in life, which is I get to read Dear Prudence again. (laughs) I didn't get to read it for five years, and I love reading advice columns. And it was just like, I already know what happens. Yes, (laughs) But now I get to find out, and I'm so excited. Um, so that's uh, the sort of biggest thing that's going on in my neck of the woods today. Is that I'm thrilled to reclaim an old joy. How's everything
2: by you? Oh, it's a a sort of moody, cloudy, windy day. We had a, a bear come for our compost last night, so that was that was the big excitement here. I mean, it, what that looks like is a turned over compost can. It doesn't but it's it's the shadow of the bear's presence that
0: uh, I like that you could see by the look on my face that that was the most thrilling thing I had ever heard and you really wanted to temper my expectations did you see the bear did he seem happy did he did he wear the the can over his head at any moment
2: no we we need a i think we need a wildlife cam to be honest i understand the appeal of these now um a neighbor of ours has one, and so we have seen the bear, which looks very handsome, sleek, and well-fed. Of course. Uh, but no, we have we have not seen the bear yet.
0: I, I, I can't tell you how happy I am for you. I am resisting every impulse that I have to say something like, you should leave it treats. You shouldn't leave it treats. It's a wild animal. You definitely shouldn't do that. That would be dangerous for you and your loved ones and the bear. I'm just gonna hold my tongue because that's all I want to say right now.
2: My husband likes to get a drink and sit and watch the bears in the Catskills, like in the field across from uh, a cabin that we share there with some friends. Uh, there's apple trees, and the bears come and eat the apples in the tree, get drunk while they're eating the apples because it happens very fast. And then they fall out of the tree and we sit the whole time with the cocktail at a safe distance. it's it feels very uh, catskills. I guess.
0: That is the most charming thing that I have ever heard in my life. And it brought a little bit of a tear to my eye. I'm not going to lie. I'll send you a video. Please do. Please rate your next book about these bears. Um, Set up as many cameras as possible. Please, all of the above. By the way, I'm going to take this moment to mention that Slate Plus members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday. It's just $1 for your first month if you head to slate.com slash mood. I'll remind you again at the end of the show. Thanks.
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble.
0: I don't have a great segue from the joy of watching bears get drunk on fresh apples, but I'm excited, especially I have often appreciated your writing on relationships, especially long-term relationships and thinking about how to care for other people well. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to being able to, to sit with these for a little bit. So the subject here is suddenly sex works a problem. I'm 26 and I've known my boyfriend, Roger, also 26 for about five years. There was always a spark between us, but we only became seriously involved about six months ago, and he moved in with me then. For about a year before Roger moved in, I'd been involved in a relationship with Mark, who's five years older than me and who's paid me for photos and vanilla sex. It's been consensual and respectful, mutually beneficial, and it's helped me make ends meet when I couldn't have otherwise. Roger was always supportive and even enjoyed some of the, quote, spoils before he moved in. We didn't exactly decide to live together. Roger had been living with his adoptive mother, who struggles with serious mental health issues, and he suddenly found himself in need of another place to stay. I really care about him, and I offered him a place with me. Once he moved in, he went from being totally cool and supportive to being desperate for me to stop seeing Mark. Not only could I not afford to break things off with Mark, I didn't want to. Roger had always been sweet and charming but he started having increasingly out-of-control tantrums on a daily basis, manipulating and lying to me, insulting me, and pointedly withholding affection for not, quote, obeying him until I gave in. Roger found a job for a while, which helped some, but he couldn't keep it and hasn't found a new one yet. He isn't bringing in any money, and I can't afford to support us both. Eventually, panic about money... Plus the fact that I never actually wanted to give up my sugar daddy relationship set in and it's kind of hard to think about anything else. I'm very invested in Roger emotionally and I don't really know what my life would look like without him, but I desperately want to start seeing Mark again. I know Roger would blow a gasket if I brought it up, but part of me thinks, well, he used to be cool about it. Maybe if I handle this the right way, I can make it work. I was never intending to see Mark forever. I get that perhaps emotional intimacy and security with a partner is worth more than what I got from him, but these feelings of resentment toward Roger for draining me financially and strong-arming me into a decision I didn't want to make don't seem sustainable. Something has got to give. Jealousy is powerful. I get that. But could there be some way to get him to see the light? Would you start us off? I just need to take a minute to do some (laughs) gentle breathing exercises.
2: Yeah. So, I I kind of want to just give this letter writer. I just want to give you a copy of uh, Melissa Phibos's *Girlhood*, which is this extraordinary book about uh, women and consent. This is this is bad. This is an abusive relationship. I think of this as being something that I call among my friends "man baby syndrome," uh, where a man that they're involved with suddenly sort of gives up their like taking care of themselves and insists that you take care of them Uh, financially, uh, emotionally, sexually, you know, this, this stuff about um, withholding affection for not obeying him, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. Uh, the tantrums, the manipulation, the lying, the insulting. I don't know how that turns into intimacy that's described in the next paragraph. And I think that you have to examine the possibility that there is some way that you as a person get self-esteem out of helping people in a way that is toxic for you. And that is the real source of why you are still in this relationship. Because if this person cannot pay rent and they cannot replace the income that they are making you give up, then they are giving you something that you aren't quite aware that you Either need or are addicted to, and that to me seems like the real problem here. I think that's a useful
0: framework. I do want to make sure that I don't step over into suggesting anything like letter writer. It's your fault that you haven't broken up with Roger yet. Um, yes, but I, I agree. the The thing that feels true here is the the reasons that this letter writer is having a difficult time. Saying goodbye to Roger is that sense of, I'm really emotionally invested in him. I've cared about him for a really long time. I'm afraid that, you know, implicitly, I'm afraid that letting go of what I see as emotional intimacy and security with Roger would be a mistake. Um, yeah, I don't really know what my life would look like without him. That to me, I think, is the reason that the letter writer has not broken up with him rather than any sign from Roger that he's going to be a good boyfriend um, or even return to being the sort of like fun, charming, flirty friend that he used to be. Um, I I would also share your view here that this is becoming abusive. You know, I think letter writer, the thing that really leapt out to me in this letter was Roger used to be really sweet and charming. And then he moved in with you. I, I don't, Know how calculated or intentional that was. I don't know if some of that felt like spur of the moment decisions. So I'm not going to speculate and say that that was like his plan all along. But it's not a good sign if somebody you don't live with and you're not dating is really sweet, really charming, really fun to flirt with. And then as soon as you invest in them, as soon as you share your home with them, they turn on a dime and become controlling, cruel, deceitful and try to manipulate you into becoming financially insecure. That is really, really bad. That is not, oh, he's going through a rough patch or, you know, maybe he'll get another job soon and then he'll feel more secure and then he'll treat me better. Those are kind of pretty clear, demonstrable red flags from an abusive partner um, who wants to isolate and control you and make you feel like a bad person for wanting to make money or having a pleasurable sugar daddy relationship with someone who's always treated you well.
2: And and one that you knew about going into the relationship. You know, I think that's the thing that for me is such a, a red flag too, is the way they were okay with something until, until they moved in and suddenly they feel proprietary.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it just feels like really classic whore phobia. And I use that phrase, you know, mm-hmm. um, that is something that sex workers use as a word amongst themselves. Letter writer, I know that you talk about it at one point as being a sugar daddy relationship, but also in the subject line, you refer to it as sex work. So I don't want to, you know, throw that label of sex worker upon you um, if that's not one that you use. But I, I think certainly Roger's attitudes towards that relationship slash work is one that is connected to, you know, loathing and hatred of sex workers or anyone whose work is adjacent to sex work. Um, And yeah, as you were saying, just, just really, really distressing that he either pretended to be fine with it until he, you know, had his foot in the door or was fine with it when he didn't think of you as like his woman. And then once you started living together and he had a proprietary attitude towards you, felt like, no more, not on my watch. Um, And and that would have all been awful even if it didn't really affect your income but the fact that this has made it difficult for you to make ends meet and he's not giving any he's not contributing towards rent like oh honey yeah that was just my overwhelming response to this one was like oh honey i am so sorry this is not a good friend this is not a good boyfriend this guy's not even a good roommate he's he's not even a good like stranger in line at a coffee shop roger's a bad guy
2: and i just want to send so much just so much care towards you letter writer for being in this situation, which has to be so confusing and depressing and lonely. Yeah. And I really hope that you can work out how uh, to take care of yourself and make some decisions and set some boundaries with Roger.
0: Yeah, I really, I really get to, you know, the letter writer says we've known each other for five years and there was always a spark between us. So I think part of what also is is present in this is the sense of like, no, 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 hang on. I know this guy. I've known him for five years. This has only been the last six months. So I really can appreciate the ways in which it must just feel like right now. This isn't how he normally is. He didn't used to be like this at all. This is what's six months compared to five years? There's got to be some way that I can handle this so that I can get back to the version of Roger that I used to know. And that's, you know, there's that line, right? Like he used to be cool about it. Maybe if I handle this the right way, I can make it work. So the onus here, the letter writer is putting entirely on herself, which is just, okay, the reason that this guy turned on a dime and showed me a totally different side of herself, uh, himself has got to be something that I just didn't handle expertly enough. And if I could just handle him better. I would get the good side of him. And I I think that's a very kind of classic response to somebody suddenly demonstrating abusive behavior when they haven't before. But you should not ever have to be in a position where you are thinking, how can I convince my partner to stop abusing me financially and emotionally? I I also do worry about, you know, letter writer, the possibility of him becoming physically abusive. Um, it, It seems like that's really a possibility here. So, so my suggestion to you, before you make any decisions about when or whether to start seeing Mark again, would be to talk to a friend about what Roger's done. You don't say whether or not you've shared this with anyone else in your life. My guess is that you haven't. But tell some people whose judgment you trust and who you know care about you. Um, hey, my boyfriend, since he moved in with me, bullied me into giving up some work that I valued, won't contribute financially to the household, and has started belittling me. And I feel really confused. Um, I think you need a lot of support in that. And I think you need other people in your life who can remind you that's not normal. That's not like, oh, sometimes that happens when you've been dating someone for six months. You know, you're, you're going to need people who can help you right now. Um, I would also encourage you to think about not living with Roger anymore. Um, I realize that it's possible that if you were to. Turn off the flow of money heading in his direction that he might try to escalate in his attempts to manipulate and control you. So, I would say, I would encourage you both to find out like, what are your rights as a tenant whose name is on the lease versus my guess is his name is not? What kind of notice of eviction would you have to consider giving him? How would you be able to ensure your own physical safety after you did so? I, I, I don't want to, you know, letter writer, I realize you were kind of asking you know, how do I deal with this guy's jealousy in such a way that we can go back to the nice relationship we used to have? And I'm telling you, you know, serve him a written notice of eviction and then make sure that you're safe because I'm afraid he's going to try to hurt you, which is not what you were thinking and not what you were kind of hoping for. But um, this, this to me is not, how do I help my loving partner work through issues around jealousy so that we can become closer? This is once this guy moved in, he he changed his personality on a dime and I'm afraid he's going to try to hurt you more than he already has.
2: I think that's all really wise and, and it does have to be approached very strategically with an eye towards your own safety and you can't take anything for granted about his behavior right now because of that sudden transformation he went under. And I hope that doesn't sound too scary, but I just don't... Uh, I don't want to offer any false reassurances either. Yeah. I don't think you should stay with
0: Roger. I don't think it's safe. I don't think it's healthy. Um, And that's not to say that if you don't feel ready to break up with him tomorrow that you are doing bad and unhealthy things and you should feel ashamed of yourself. I think one of the reasons that this is so hard for you is he is capitalizing on those five years of trust and friendship in order to do things that you never thought that he would do and get away with it. But I think... Again, speaking to your friends, telling other people, not keeping this a secret. Um, a, a, not that you have to disclose a sugar daddy relationship if that's not something that you talk about with your friends, by the way. You, you do not have to go into any details there. But the, the dynamics of it, um, I think, are, are, are ones that you should share. And then just, you know, say six months ago when Roger moved in, did I ever expect that he would do any of the things that I've included in this letter? Did I ever think he'd start having daily out-of-control tantrums? Did I ever think that he would you know, hit me with a barrage of insults? Did I ever think he would withhold affection until I obeyed him? And if the answer to that is no, I never thought he would do that, that is a useful reminder of I actually don't know what this man is capable of. The man I thought I knew was a front. Oh, I'm just so sorry. I feel disheartened, and especially because I kind of went into this thing, oh, jealousy, that's an interesting thing to talk about, and then just like, <laughs> We're not talking about jealousy. We're not talking 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 about about jealousy. Yeah. We're talking about a man who wants to hurt and control a woman because of the sex work adjacent stuff that she has done. And um, I hate Roger and I'm so sorry that he has betrayed your friendship like that and betrayed your trust. (sighs) And beyond that, I hope once you are able to get out of this relationship that you are able to start seeing Mark again. But um, I also really understand, you know, take that one carefully and slowly Um, Don't do anything that you believe would put yourself at risk from um, escalation from Roger. Keep yourself safe. Keep yourself distant from him physically and emotionally and financially. This man is not your friend.
1: Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect.
0: just because it's so sad. (laughs) And I do want to be able to talk about other things together. Um, But yeah, I'm just so struck right now about what does it mean to be in a relationship with someone and try to contend with jealousy or insecurity or fear that you are not everything to that person at every moment um, that doesn't look like either let me bury my jealousy or let me try to preempt yours by hiding things from you. Or on the other hand... Let me just give full reign to my jealousy. Let me use that as an excuse to dominate, to control, to um, try to make sure you don't feel things I don't want you to feel. Like, jealousy, huh? What's that about?
2: I mean, I feel like jealousy comes to us from our sibling relationships and our relationships Mm -hmm. with our parents and our sense of like how much or how little attention we got back then in some ways however there's there's something else that I don't know if monogamy is really structurally sound as a as a practice at the very least, I think most of the happiest folks I know don't at the very least look for one person to be everything in this way that feels exhaustive and like you're really looking for a mother and not. A mother in a way that mothers shouldn't even have to be for their kids.
0: I'm so glad you're bringing like the Freudian energy to this conversation. <laughs> that's That's been lacking in some of my own answers. And um, yeah, let's bring the mommy issues into play.
2: Yeah, it's when I first went into therapy, I, there were a lot of conversations about how your first experiences of love are with your family uh, teach you about relationships, sharing, um, that kind of stuff. My husband and I got together when we were both in our forties. And I understood that he had, I mean, part of what was attractive to me about him was that he did have many powerful friendships that had endured for a long time. It told me that he could maintain emotional bonds, um, which is not always a given with men. And, mm-hmm. um, and I respect those friendships and I encourage him to spend time with those friends. and. Like something that he did uh last year was he and a friend of his who lives alone, they got together for a week together away from me. And mm-hmm. and I was not jealous. I was so glad they were taking their friendship that seriously, enough that they made time for each other. Yeah.
0: I, I love that. I'm glad you brought that up too, because I think oftentimes in conversations about jealousy, it can be easy to just stay kind of stuck on sexual jealousy, romantic jealousy, and kind of leave it at that. But I think it's also true that jealousy can show up when it comes to a partner's emotional commitments, uh, their sense of relatedness to their friends, that question of, if you and I are on a team together, does that preclude the possibility of you sometimes being on other teams? Like, what's the fundamental commitment? When are times that I can call on you and, and sort of try to say, it needs to be you and I Facing the world together, and where are there times when I want to respect my partner's right to say, You and I have, you know, sort of joined hands in, in this uh, relationship, but it's not always you and me against the world. Sometimes I have other commitments that matter to me, and thinking about how do you contend with non sexual jealousy is a really important question, especially because I. I for all that i want to encourage every letter writer regardless of whether they're in a monogamous relationship or not whether they're in an explicitly non-monogamous relationship or not is not necessarily either stay committed to monogamy or don't or or become part of an open relationship and that will solve the problem of jealousy um so much as just you must be able to find ways to talk with your partner over a lifelong relationship the fact that developing a crush on someone or having sudden and unexpected feelings for someone is not in itself an indicator that you no longer love your partner or that you love them less or that it's the worst thing that could possibly happen. I think that's the thing that feels the most necessary to me. It it feels less important what you as a team decide to do about it, but just you know that that sense of this is unsayable. I cannot discuss it with my partner because to do so is an admission that the love is gone, the relationship is on its last legs. That's it. it, it, it just if if nothing else, I get so many letters to that effect. And it's like that can't be it because you all seem very in love with your partners and very upset that you thought somebody else was beautiful, and you're you're very very upset with yourself. But there's so many of you. There must be a way to talk about it even if it is to affirm the monogamous agreement that you have. But of course, you know, I I can also experience jealousy in both monogamous and non-monogamous relationships. So it's not even like, well, if you're in an open relationship, then you just have evolved beyond jealousy. Like, I can get jealous of dogs. I can get jealous of inanimate objects. I frequently do. I was sort of hoping you would then admit that you also get jealous of small, petty things, but you didn't, and that's (laughs) fine. That's fine. I'm just out here on my own.
2: No, I mean, I do. Uh, my husband, for example, and I both were both very good with dogs and cats. And so there is a certain amount of competitiveness sometimes when we meet a dog or cat about uh, which dog or cat is going to like us better than the other one. Uh, he's a double Aries, so he's more like naturally competitive. Uh, I'm a kind of uh, spaced out Leo, Aquarius rising. You know, I sort of eventually notice. Some of these things that um, in ways that he's more more pointed towards. But um, the other part that I I was thinking about was how, you know, monogamy, as I understand it, is about like protecting a line of heirs, basically, like making sure that the inheritance is, you know, secure for the next patrilineal phase of your life or your family's life, rather, or it's about, uh, I mean, coming out of the 90s, in the eighties, in the way that I do as a, a gay man, I remember when monogamy was instead about sexual hygiene and this way that you would try to protect your relationship that way, like that, not just your relationship, but protect your, each other's health inside of that relationship mm-hmm. through these agreements. And lots of those relationships did not do well. I remember and. There's good reasons to figure out like how does your relationship fit what you need? Why do you think you need monogamy? Do you need monogamy? I'm not against monogamy. Don't get me wrong i I am currently in a monogamous relationship. Uh, I am also a non monogamous person. I think it by nature mm-hmm. and part of how it survives is that I talk about we both talk about our feelings around this. we might revisit the status of our Monogamy, but my my hope is that we would do it in a really conscious way.
0: Yeah. That makes so much sense. I think there's such a there's a lot of tripwires, you know, when it comes to acknowledging jealousy and I think there are ways in which a lot of us can and I want I don't I don't I don't know how many, some of us, let's say, some people. I I often find myself saying like we or us, and then I like have this other voice in my head. that's like, who's this we you're talking about? What boat are you just trying to haul everyone else into just because you're in it? And um, I often don't have a good answer to that. So I I try to say we less than I would like to. But I I think maybe if you are talking about with a partner monogamy, jealousy for the first time in, in any way other than simply this is an unstated set of values that everyone must share, there can be this sense of Okay, well, if you don't want me forever, you know, don't do me any fucking favors. Like, if that's what this is about, then, you know, I don't feel safe. I don't trust you. You obviously don't want me. I'm clearly worthless. I failed to maintain your interest. I have failed to be, you know, sexually compelling. That is a referendum on me and my worth and my value and my body. So fine, you know, everything else is just um, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. I've already lost the thing that matters to me. And that I think is such a difficult thing to talk about because it just feels like, well, I, I'm just going to rip my heart out and hand it to somebody else and say, "Do you still want to look at it?" Um, but as you were saying, you know, there there is, there are so many ways to think of again, regardless of whether your attachment is a monogamous one or otherwise, an idea of what does it mean for us to prioritize one another. What does it mean for us to truly try to be honest to the best of our ability? Because no one's going to perfectly know their own feelings every moment that they have one. Um, what we want, what we don't want, what we're afraid to lose, what we hope for, what we're afraid to ask for. You know, I, I was thinking earlier of what you said about a, a lot of our ideas about attachment and and goals for romantic relationships being formed in our families of origin, which, boy, if that's true, I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, and and thinking about like the idea of having like the question that you ask and the question that you're afraid to ask or like the version of the list for Santa that you might write out knowing that somebody is going to see it versus the list you might if you still believed in Santa actually hand over to Santa and I think there's often especially in long-term relationships a tendency to say like there's too much at stake here there's too much to risk I can't risk the idea of rejection from this partner who my life is built upon so I've got to ask for a little less than what I want or, or hedge my way around the truth. Again, maybe that's just me. I don't know. I grew up in a very unusual family.
2: Have you ever seen this film from the 80s called Summer Lovers? No.
0: <laughs> is it connected to the song from Greece or unrelated?
2: Oh, um, I mean, what's interesting is that uh, actually... It's, I realize that's Summer Lovin', but you know. Oh, right. Well, I mean, it's the same director and that director wrote Summer Lovers. <gasps> and- You're kidding <laughs> and it's uh, it's about a three-way relationship that takes place on Greece during the summer. A young American couple, meet uh, an enigmatic and alluring French woman, uh, and are drawn into this throuple. And I mean, it has all of these very provincial American awkwardnesses, some of which are beautiful or funny or poignant, and some of which are just plain uh, awkward. And Daryl Hannah is... Uh, young and perhaps as stunningly beautiful as she ever was uh, in it, if that at all matters to you also, uh, Peter Gallagher.
0: Peter Gallagher matters a lot to me. (laughs) Peter Gallagher matters more to me than you'll ever know. You should have led
2: with that. Oh my God. (laughs) I will be watching this. He is. uh, He's pretty stunning in it also. We watched it because my, it's my husband's, it's one of his favorite movies. One of his like close to his heart. Movies and it is not easy to find um, because it did not do well enough, such that it is you know a part of the Netflix streaming programs or the Hulu, et cetera. It's it's just completely siloed in this uh, in this corner of YouTube for free. I am so glad to have
0: heard about this movie, not <laughs> least because I am now looking at Randall Kleiser's filmography, and it includes not just Grease and Summer Lovers, but The Blue Lagoon. Uh, White Fang <laughs> and the sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, and the the boy in the plastic bubble. I mean, what a what a career! I'm going to watch life. this.
1: This yeah. looks remarkable.
0: Do you remember that movie from the early '90s? I, I, I want to say it was just called Threesome. I think it starred one of the lesser Baldwins, and it was about just like three college students tentatively uh, getting oh my into God, a yes. relationship. But one of them's a gay man, this. one of them's a straight man, and then I want to say it's like. Laura Finney Boylan. I'm mixing up the actress, Laura Flynn Boyle with the trans
2: writer, Jennifer Finney Boylan. (laughs) That's amazing. I feel like Jenny would actually enjoy uh, that. And it would be great actually to see uh, Jenny play Laura Flynn Boyle in some kind of SNL skit sometime, but I would watch it.
0: Right. And it's a young Josh Charles, who I also have very strong feelings about. Um, two great tastes that go great together. I got a double feature for tonight. Thank you.
2: Films like this are a great way to bring up these issues. If you are say in a couple and you want to try to talk about like this kind of stuff, try being like, "Hey, wanna watch this really <laughs> old film about about threesomes?" Um yeah, there's there's ways to present it that aren't necessarily going to blow your life up. Mhm.
0: Although I would suggest having at least one conversation first so that you don't suggest the movie in lieu of a conversation. Like, feel no, things out first rather than like, hey, let's watch this movie. And then at the end of it, there will be a quiz, which is, do you want to do this now?
2: <laughs> not that that's what you were suggesting. I just wanted to make that really clear. It's true. I really was not suggesting that. But it, but it's a good way to feel someone out on the topic if you are somehow just feeling really afraid about bringing it up, Um, which which I can understand because it can feel threatening, especially... In this era where where so many of our domestic arrangements have been under an extraordinary amount of stress, mm-hmm. uh, it can feel very threatening to admit that you're experiencing COVID <laughs> and that you want to <laughs> maybe consider after you're vaccinated uh, some other arrangement. So, Yeah.
0: Again, I am now stuck on the filmography of this director. And, you know, the next movie he made after Threesome was The Craft and then Dick. So this guy just had a great run in the 90s. I am uh, I'm very impressed. Um, I think my kind of last thought, because I know we spent a lot of time today talking about jealousy, monogamy, non-monogamy, and all that. So I do want to eventually move on to talking a little bit about your work before we do our oh, long sure. question Owe and head that. home. <laughs> oh, that. Um, but I also think it's important to, uh, you know, if somebody is in such a conversation or contemplating such a conversation and they are on the side of, I don't like it, or I'm scared. Um, to not feel like your job is therefore to um, get on board with it or to get over your feelings, that it is equally important to to the best of your ability, I think peacefully avow. My first reaction to this is that I don't like it. It makes me feel threatened. It makes me feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel afraid. I cannot imagine how I would do so uh, in like an emotionally safe way. And um, that's where I am at with it. Um, I think people also run into a lot of trouble when they kind of try to swallow their uncertainties or their fears and say no, I can I can do it. I love you. This will be okay. Um and to you know, yes. if that's it, I and either in the sense of like I'm not sure I need a lot of hand holding and discussion and envisioning before we consider anything or just this is a hard no for me. You know, not my dog, not my circus. That's not either expression I was looking for and that's not the right application of such an expression but I hope that it's clear that what I'm saying is if someone just wants to make it really clear I have thought about this I've given it careful consideration I have thought about the cultural weight of monogamous expectations and I've also decided no thank you say that Avow it Um, pay attention to it it's allowed you're allowed to say it We're done. We're never gonna talk about relationships again. I don't want to hear another <laughs> word on the subject. What I do wanna hear about dealer's choice. We have enough time for either one. Um, we can talk about you mentioned therapy earlier. I would love to hear some of your thoughts about what you look for in a therapist, because I advise therapy all the time. And then I don't say anything about how to do it. Or if you would rather talk about um what you're working on, what you have been working on, you've written both a novel and a book of
2: essays about novels. That's unusual. Um, your choice. I will say maybe like go from one to the other in cool. a strange way, like squaring the circle or something. I don't know. All of my metaphors are in disarray. That's my
0: fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's
2: okay.
0: I saw a picture of a young Josh Charles and now I'm just a dog
2: going in circles. The best way that I ever picked a therapist to answer that question, very specifically for those who might be looking, it doesn't sound particularly scientific. It was actually pretty intuitive, but I called up and listened to their voice messages. And if I liked their voice, and how it sounded in the message, then that was that was the key. And it, I love that. And I actually picked the exact right therapist for me in terms of specialties through this very inexact and unscientific method. Otherwise, do you remember how many voicemails you had to listen to before you found one that you liked? Uh, I think it was only three or four. Uh, it wasn't that many, and uh, maybe that was just luck.
0: I like that, though. I like the idea of. There's a lot you can do to research their various like methods or areas of expertise, but there's something about just like, I like your voice.
2: You're hired. Yeah. You know, in terms of what I'm working on now, I I guess I would say I'm looking for a therapist. That's the (laughs) segue, And then, um, but, but also as a, a way of thinking about the, I have been a mentor for a very long time. Without really thinking about the ways that I needed to to be mentored myself, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's uh, very common in creative writing to begin teaching almost immediately, especially if you, like me, you know, published like risky work with an uh, independent press um, and didn't get a large advance such that you could quit your job. Um, uh, and so, almost immediately, I began teaching people. Without thinking, what else I needed to learn as a writer or a teacher, and and so the next thing I'm working on, I suppose, is you know I have a sabbatical year coming up now. I had the great good fortune uh, to win two amazing grants from the United States Artists Fellowship and, uh, and the Guggenheim, and so I'm I'm taking a year to just kind of find my way toward the mentors I need, and in the process find the way to do. These next few books, uh, so I'm sort of doing research that uh, will apply to three different three different books. That's fabulous.
0: Yeah, I can um, I can relate to that so much of what was so exciting about being able to start you know writing professionally online at a relatively young age. I started around 2011 2012. Was it, it felt very like you know go for it feels as wide open as it's going to be. Um, but I also really missed the sense of, you know, I've never, not since I quit my day job back in 2012 to write for the internet full-time have I ever had like a proper full-time staff job with like colleagues and a supervisor um, such that I was able to like learn the ropes in a, in a formal manner or or get a sense of like, what is a, a career with longevity look like for somebody in my position? And so a lot of that's been guesswork. And one of the things that I sometimes miss or or wish that I could have had is is a staff job of some kind, um, or some kind of like formalized mentorship relationship. It's, um, it's not the worst problem in the world by any means. I'm so glad I got to quit that day job. I wanted to drive my car into oncoming traffic every time I drove to it, (laughs) um, such that I was just like, yeah, I would much rather write 900 blog posts a day (laughs) than do this. Um, it was a great company. I'm very sorry. Uh, you were fine. They weren't fine. They weren't that great a company. All of which is just to say, I'm a child of the internet. And uh, for better or for worse, that has often meant that um, mentorships are, are scattershot and and a little hazy and confusing. So I'm very excited. Congratulations on your multiple grants. I hope you use them to win arguments with your husband. Um <laughs> just to, even about little things like oh did you win a grant today no then we're eating dinner according to my
2: whims <laughs> he's fully prepared to defend himself from such approaches so i don't i don't know that i'll be using that but yes it's it's exciting to think about i it's been so long since i haven't taught anybody you know since i've just thought like what do i want to know for me and it feels almost selfish but i think that's the I mean, at this point, I know what the next few books are. It's not now. I feel like I'm just trying to outrun, you know, climate change. Let me know if you do. <laughs>
0: I, will. I am looking I'll send for a tips. Report back.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. It's weird how sometimes if you like check something off your to do list, then your next thought is like, "Oh, I'm gonna die someday." I think that's part of why I often like existing in a state of professional chaos, which is just like if I don't know what my next project is, I don't have to worry about dying. But if I know what my next book is going to be about, then the next thing on the agenda is you're going to die and my attitude towards that has always sort of been, surely by the time I'm in my 70s we will have addressed this like as a group. Like we're we're going to get around to it, right? Like by the time I'm old, I know every other generation since the dawn of time has had to die, but like not <laughs> <laughs> not me, come on, come on. there's got to be somebody I can talk to, and that's really not the case, which I just think is dreadful. but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe we will figure that one out one way or another. Mm. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time. I so appreciated your your thought, your care, your your generosity today. I hope you see a lot of bears from a safe distance this afternoon. <laughs> thank you.
2: And I really will send you the bear video later. All
0: right? I really will hold you to that. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Daniel Avery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. So head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or just hit the subscribe button of whatever platform you're using right now. Also, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, which I've just now decided to christen the Little Big Mood, Little Mood episode instead of saying mini episode. And you'll get to hear more advice and conversation with this week's guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice. If you need some big advice, head over to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form, or you can find a link on the description of the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. I think she has the right to get angry with you. I, I think that's really important, you know.
2: She may also want or be having something like this. Yeah, this could be a pina colada situation. Wait, what is a pina colada situation? The
0: song, you know, the, from the 80s, that one oh, hit right. wonder where he both read the ad and, and wrote the yes, ad yes, and yes. then spoilers <laughs> for the pina colada song. Yeah, you know, if they if they hadn't met up that one time, part of me would be like, oh my God, what if this much younger man is also your wife and you two have been having an affair with each other? Mm. That's probably not what happened. Probably not. I, I don't think this will be an automatically easy or fun conversation. I don't. I don't know that there's anything to be gained in the sense of you will then get what you want right away. But, you know, the things that you will gain is you won't have daily guilt or at least the guilt will be, you know, attached to something new. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.
1: Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds.